Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. Here's the number, 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet your questions and comments at A Measure of Truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow, like, and repost us on Facebook and Twitter. Look, we've got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Dr. Daryl D. Sims endeavors to epitomize the best of the 21st century African-American preacher. He has obtained the academic training necessary to rightly divide the word of truth. His diverse ministry skill set allows him to address the difficult issues facing the African-American church and community. His prowess as a preacher and author has gained him a national reputation for being an anointed man of God who can proclaim the word with power in a way that educates, inspires, and heals. Dr. Sims says our children need material that speaks directly to their unique experiences within a society that has historically proven not to have the mind of an African-American child in their best interest. Our children need to be warmly lifted and promoted as intellectually sound and behavioral competent individuals. Our children need a fair chance to compete in a very competitive marketplace. Our children need to expand and harness a vocabulary that lets others know that they are aware of the times and are ready to engage in a society that specializes in manipulative communication. Dr. Daryl D. Sims, welcome to A Measure of Truth. I am glad to be here with you today. Thank you. All right. Well, we're glad to have you. You know, you have um, written this powerful, powerful book called 52 Words, and it's really intriguing. Um, It's not a book that's only 52 words long, but 52 powerful words that you found that you've can use as a tool to help them in their day-to-day struggles. So tell us a little bit about the idea and the concept and and what made you focus in on these words. Well, the idea and the concept first. Um, So many of our children, um, they they desire to express themselves, and sometimes they just can't articulate what they're feeling, what they're thinking. They cannot always um, uh, um, uh, state what they feel someone has done to them or they don't understand what the system is constantly intentionally doing to them. So therefore, sometimes when they're not able to express themselves verbally, 
they may express themselves in different forms, sometimes violently or sometimes they just simply suppress everything and shut down. But I did the concept for me uh, was birthed uh, during my Ph.D. program when I interviewed black male Ph.D.s, and we wanted to find out what made them successful as they matriculated through uh, grammar school, high school, and even college and even post-grad school, and which they stated, you know, sometimes they had trouble expressing themselves. So we wanted, I wanted to come up with 52 words for the average, you know, adolescent African-American black male, uh, African-American male, in which he would now be able to harness a group of words that help him articulate what he's going through. And then I wanted also for them to understand what was taking place because so many of them would raise the question, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. And then that parent or loved one or a member of that life not able to express it to them, I wanted to have a tool in which they can read the words and understand for themselves. One such word would be genocide. You know, we, we don't talk about genocide. We don't talk about the practice of trying to steer you in a particular way by not giving you opportunities on the other side of town. So even in Washington, D.C., uh, the nation's capital, a school teacher is not able or not allowed to teach a child to read after second grade. So if your child mm. matriculates into third grade and they don't have the ability to read, well, they're just out. And so that's by design. That's by design. The policies and practices are put in place to slowly but surely steer you to a life that will allow them to make money off you within the penal system. So when we talk about the, the, the uh, schools out of pipeline to prison, this is how they do it. They do it through policies and procedures that do not allow you a fair chance. And so that's not the case for every single student, but too many of the students fall into that, into that trapping. So the idea and the concept was to try to put some in the hands of young men um, that they can read the words, understand the definitions, we give them a sentence so they can, you know, see how it fits in. So whether it be genocide or whether it be belligerent, uh, the way they are described by many of the counselors and teachers, we want to understand that the school system is set up to, to, to intentionally help create uh, a sense of inferiority. So that word is in there, influence, uh, and also other words like gregarious. We wanted them to understand that it's okay be happy going, to be to, 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 to feel as though, you know, you belong, even fatigue. There's a concept out here now called uh, racial fatigue syndrome. Uh, all the practices that are going on make you tired of just being black. I mean, here you are, God-gifted, uh, God-talented, and God-kissed by the sun, and the jealousy and envy that exists behind closed doors, and I said it's even become now blatant. You know, uh, my next book, this one is called just 52 Words, but it's called The Novice. Uh, so the next one's going to be 52 Words, going to be advanced. Uh, one word I'll tell you about that book is going to be microaggressions. Uh, I need to understand mm. the subtleties mm. in terms of how racism right. is uh, expressed and, and what have you. So, so that's the whole premise of the book, to try to empower young men. And a great friend of mine, she uh, pulled me to the side and said, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be real violent towards you if you don't have one for the young ladies as well. So not that I was trying to not think about the young ladies, but we quickly came up with a book also called 52 Words Every Adolescent African-American Female Should Know. And most of the words are the same. We only had 11 words that were different, you know. But, uh, yeah, we got mm-hmm. three volumes each book. So this wow. is what we're trying to do, just empower our people. And it's so funny, you know, the parents buy the book, and they're like, look, these are words that we need ourselves. And um, mm-hmm. it's hard mm-hmm. for a parent to to guide a child when they don't understand what's really going on behind closed doors. Well, let me ask the question that everybody's thinking at this point. I mean, it sounds like a great idea, great concept. Um, but why 52? Uh, yeah, I, I just it's had a ring to it. Um, there was nothing mm-hmm. really special about it. Uh, but mm-hmm. someone did say, well, 52 weeks in a year. So making word, uh, learn one word a week, I said, okay, that sounds good to me. Uh, but I, I was really torn <laughs> with, with several different numbers, and, and 52 mm-hmm. is just something that just, you know, flowed from my heart, flowed from my mind. And um, I, was, I really wasn't thinking about 52 weeks in a year, but this works out well because behind this will be a workbook 
where a child can take that word and do a lot with it in that one week. Um, mm-hmm. uh, two words, study doesn't come with just learning the word itself, but learning things that are attached to it as well, you know, put it in a paragraph, put it in a sentence or what have you, and that way they would use it in the proper context when they go out and use it. But it's so funny, one word that had to go in the book, <laughs> Michael, was belligerent because uh, mm-hmm. I was with a student and a, and a teacher, and the teacher said, well, sometimes, you know, he doesn't have his way. He gets really belligerent. And the young man started acting belligerent by saying, I don't know what belligerent is. No, he said, I'm not belligerent. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not that. And I was like, this, you're acting belligerent at this very moment. But he didn't understand. But what she didn't understand right. was the pain that he brought to the mm-hmm. table. So, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about the, the deficiency the, um, within our children. I don't think our children are deficient. I really think that the teachers are deficient. And I will say that again and again and again. Is not to belittle the teacher, but there's such a thing called cultural competency. So if you don't understand the pain that I bring to the classroom, then you won't have the sensitivity needed to allow me to be the natural me that God made me to be. But beyond being the natural me that God made me to be, society has a way of bombarding me with images. And on my way mm. to school, I got to cross over somebody that's that's down on the street with drugs. I got to cross over the street because there's some gang. I got to cross over the street because of the hurt and harm that I'm witnessing every day as I'm on my way to school. And I get to school, my belly is, is making noise because I'm hungry. My clothes are dirty because although mama works, she still can't afford to get our clothes. There's so many variables that go into the, the total equation of a child sitting down in a classroom with the intent to learn but it's hard to focus on schoolwork when, you, when you're focusing on just surviving. And mm-hmm. our children are going through this at early ages. You know, they're going through this at 9 and 10 and 11, 12 years old. Just two weeks ago in D.C., a symposium was held because a 13-year-old was shot and killed by a 15-year-old, and mm-hmm. the children were afraid to simply go to school. So I think uh, it's not just about our children's intellect. It's about our children having a chance to excel and just simply learn. And I I hear your passion um, for the human condition and especially African-American males and young people. Where where did that come from? What do you think um, gave you such a focus on that? Well, it it, it starts, of course, um, I I, I really want to give God the credit, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. start with God. It starts with my mother. Uh, my mother, bless her soul, Vivian Brown, I thank God she's still with us. And when you talk to people that's from the south side of Chicago, they all knew that woman that lived in apartment 1102 at 6217 South Care you met in Chicago, Illinois. They all knew that woman, Vivian Brown, because Vivian Brown um, was, was fair-skinned, uh, is fair-skinned, and whenever someone would harass one of her children, she would say, do not allow the complexion of my skin to fool you. Uh, I am the ace of spade, and there are no jokers in this deck. And it would embarrass me all of the time. So I'm like, wow, you, you trip. But, but do you know the gang bangers left me alone because mm. of my mother? Wow. Do, do you know they protected me from other gang bangers because of my mother? They respected my mother in such a way. They said, no, man, we got to give him a pass. We got to give him a pass. And so I feel as though it's a modern-day Moses type of a story, whereas, you know, they had to put him in the Nile, and a good preacher would say, you know, that, you know, Moses in the Nile and all of those crocodiles in the Nile, the Lord told the crocodiles, you can view him, but you can't chew him. And then Moses had this obligation, this, this 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 compulsion to go back and help another young Moses type. So my mother protected me from the gangs, and that and that that ink that only comes from a black mother uh, is now in me. Whereas I want to protect the minds of the children. I believe if you give the mind a chance, the body will follow. And I just think now. I never thought I would put it in this context. I didn't understand when I was a little boy when I heard it said of Malcolm, not necessarily by Malcolm X, but it's criminal what the American society is doing to the mind 
of a child, and it is criminal. It is so inhumane, and I will say this over and over and over in front of any crowd, anywhere, because you're teaching me to hate myself, and you're doing it in a systemic fashion day by day by day by day. So now he goes now to Carter G. Woodson, who says, you know, this educational Negro, if I can get you to hate yourself, if I can get you to hate yourself, I get you to hate everything that looks like you. And if I can mm. control your mind, then I can control your actions from a distance. If I condition you to walk out the back door, you can see the front door wide open, but you will go and break down a wall to create a back door because you're conditioned to the back door. But if it was slavery is over, you should get yourself together. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm free from the shackles of slavery, but I'm not free yet from the mental damage of slavery. Mm. So my mm-hmm. whole quest is to, is to deal with the remnants because everybody does not want to be free. Uh, it's been reported. I wasn't there. I wasn't born. I didn't hear it say it. But it's been reported. The head of Tupman said I could have freed more slaves if they had known they were free. So some of us believe we live in a post racial society, but now you have not seen it post-Obama. You're about to see it now with this corona piece. You're about to see racial injustice in a major way. Well, it hasn't been reported in the black community. It hasn't been reported in the black community because you haven't tested the black community. But that's enough. Mm. Mm. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough story. So, so, mm. so, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just about for the betterment of African-American people. I'm for the betterment of people. Because it's mm-hmm. not until the white man realizes that any black man loss is his loss. Until he sees that and understands that, then we as America will lose. Eventually, the white male is going to have to say, this is one America. And God has a way of saying, hmm, let me interject myself right here. And we're seeing it right now. Right mm. now. Wow. So th- this is a unique time that we live in and the situation that many of us, you know, we've never seen this before in our history, actually. Um, we have to go pretty far back when something, you know, had um, hit America and knocked us as hard as this um, coronavirus. But how do you see this thing panning out? What, what, what's your vision of um, how things are going to change and, and what the impact will be? Well, you know, I, I can't. Um, in, in a fashion that's so authoritative, I can only look at the the past manifestation of how God has manifested God's self. And mm-hmm. usually, um, when you look at a nation that possesses such a level of arrogance, um, at some point in time. At some point in time, their sins will pierce the, nas- the nostrils of God. And God being God said, although I gave you free will, let me show you I'm still in charge. So although people may want Saul because he's tall and talk a good game, eventually they're going to realize they need a David who has the heart of God. Hmm. And so regardless of whether it be the White House, whether it be the Senate, whether it be the Congress, whether it be governors, whether it be mayors, whether it be council people, regardless, eventually there will be a humility that comes forth from the land of the entire people. And for me, just understanding based on my limitations of the Bible, based on my limitations of life, I think God's hand is now moving in a manner in which those in power will have to say, let us, let, let us take another look at him. Let us take another mm-hmm. look. And right. the him is not just God. The him mm-hmm. is his brother and his sister. Eventually, conditions will be such that racism will have to be put on the back burner just for our total survival. So even if a, a, an organization, a, a, a government labels um, some countries, um, 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 I can't even say the words, um, uh, in, a, in, in a derogatory fashion, but it's striking to me that they're closing the, go- the doors, the gates, they're, 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 they're canceling the flights 
from countries in which they look just like them. Mm. I, I just find it striking that, that God has such a humor that, that you would label Africa one way, but the diseases that are killing you and challenging you now are coming from places that you want us to believe gave us great societies. Not understanding the death of the theft that took place of the cultural realities that came out of Africa. In Africa, by the way, it's a Greek name. So you have to go past what we now call Africa. You have to go back even further. Egypt is a Greek name. The Nile is a Greek name. What were the names prior to that? But that in itself is another segment as well. So um, tell us a little bit about um, you're, you're a publisher as well And tell us a little bit about um, Sims Media Group And um, what you guys hope to achieve Well, in a nutshell um, We started off with MMGI Books It was a Christian publication company And we came into existence Because this little thin guy um, There was a time senator of Illinois, decided to run for President of the United States, and I had a contract with an existing uh, publishing company, very well known. If I said the name, you, you would know it. And mm. they did not want to publish a particular book because um, the esteemed, the venerable Jeremiah A. Wright Jr. was one of the people in the book as an anthology, and they said, um, in so many words, we cannot publish this because of the heat that is going on with the controversy between uh, Jeremiah Wright and the media, notice I did mm. not say the conflict mm. between Jeremiah Wright and Barack Obama. There was no conflict there. It was simply, in the words of Jeremiah Wright, this politics at its best. Um, but because of that heat, they would not publish him. And I said, if you don't publish him, you can't publish any of the sermons that I've collected. And they threatened to sue me, but they did not. And uh, I called Jeremiah Wright, and I said, Jeremiah Wright, they, he said, they already called me. And Jeremiah Wright said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, Sims, who collected the sermons? I did. Who edited the sermons? I did. Who know all the preachers from Connecticut to California? I do. And these are the words of Jeremiah Wright Jr. He said, publish your own stuff. That's how the MGI books came into existence. So for um, uh, over eight, nine years, we had just MMGI books, and I knew that they were going to attack the legacy of um, uh, President Barack Obama, so I put a book together called Mr. President, Interfaith Perspectives on the Historic Presidency of Barack H. Obama, which I had 88 um, church faith leaders from around the country, 28 different denominations represented it, and I had them give me a short essay on what they appreciated about his, his, his tenure, and the book was highly acclaimed, did a lot of good stuff, and, um, but I didn't want to put that underneath the Christian banner of MMGI books. So I created something called Sims Media Group, and Sims Media Group, that's the first book we published on a uh, uh, brand. So what we hope to accomplish is my goal is to leave products behind to chronicle the, the realities of today for the remnants. I do believe there will be no true, true change until God decides that it's time for a change and my thing is to chronicle events and times and sermons and experiences of our people. So 100 years from now, I'll be dead and gone. But people will be able to read what took place when Barack Obama was president. What did he really do? Because we know how history can be skewed, and we know how people can just outright just lie. Uh, we, see it, we see the unmantling, uh, dis, excuse me, dismantling of uh, uh, his legacy right now. But what I define, and I will say this again and again and again, I know it's going to come back on me, a very insecure president, and uh, that's fine. That's fine. I, I'm, I'm, looking forward to the, I'm looking forward to the phone calls. It's okay. Uh, insecure president, he dismantled even the piece that uh, President Barack Obama put in place for such a time as this, the pandemic. You know, he, he put something in place in case something like this were to happen. These are the steps we can take. It was being funded. It was dismantled, and now is needed. See, I don't see President Trump versus President Barack Obama. I see God. I mm -hmm. see God saying, hey, 
these are all my people, the black, the white, the rich, the poor. They're all mine. Free will that he has given us, he's going to let us decide what our future holds. But at times we've seen in the history of life that God will intervene. And I think he's intervening now. I'm not saying it's a curse. I'm saying free will is doing his own thing, and God is now intervening. Hmm. Yeah, but we but we want to publish books for the remnants to read 100 years from today. So tell us a little bit about um, some of your the other books in your catalog and some of the other books you've read, because um, I'm sure we, we're going to have you back again and talk about um, some of these more and um, hopefully trying to set up an opportunity for our listeners to actually call in and ask you some questions and pick your brain on some of the topics that you've discussed today. Okay. Well, the only solo book that I have written is called Adam Come Home, Liberating the Minds of Black Men. Uh, it was written um, before I entered into the PhD program. So I'm actually, I say this with humility, I'm looking to see uh, what my next one is going to be about. <laughs> but this one is Adam Come Home, Liberating the Minds of Black Men. has seven power principles. We looked at um, the Genesis stories of creation. Uh, most people don't know it, but there are totally four. I looked at two of the four stories and um, put some principles together. I've done a piece called Evangelizing and Empowering the Black Male. And um, in this book is eight sermons by black male preachers, as well as eight uh, scholarship pieces by those um, uh, such as Kane Hofelder, Nicholas Cooper Luter, um, Boykin Sanders, uh, Raynard Smith, uh, Ralph West, Zachary Williams, and uh, David Goatley, as well as, uh, I think I mentioned the name already, Kane Hofelder, my mentor. And then you have another piece for black men called Return of the Men. That is by Dr. James Coleman, Jr., uh, who's in Virginia. Is in Virginia. And then we have um, uh, books of sermons. Sometimes I like to I publish a lot of sermons from people. So you have uh, memoirs of Reverend Dr. Albert F. Campbell out of Philadelphia, a life directed a life of directed path. Then we have, you know, some powerful sisters that we are calling sisters out of respect. They are reverends, they are doctors, but I call them sisters as a term of endearment. They are my friends. Uh, people like um, um, Jasmine Scullock, uh, who's known as Dr. Jazz, Daughter of Thunder, and then a young, young, up and coming, just brilliant young lady, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Michelle Guthrie. Uh, people like Martha Simmons. Uh, we have two books called uh, These Sisters Can Say It, Volume 1 and Volume 2. You have likes of Renita Wings, Cynthia Hale, and, and the like. And then um, another mentor that has gone on to be with Glory, uh, Dr. Charles Edward Booth out of uh, Columbus, Ohio. We, we, we published this book. It can be uh, uh, obtained via the church model of the Baptist Church in Columbus, Ohio. And, but there's one book we just finished that would be perfect. I wish you could interview this gentleman, to be honest with you. It's called Overcoming Evil with Good, Uncovering, mm-hmm. the Trans- Uncovering and Transforming Historical and Enduring Deceptions Affecting Africa and Africans Worldwide, uh, a 21st Century Agenda. Uh, long title, but the, but the information inside mm-hmm. of this book is unbelievable. It was written by the right reverend. Bishop Seth Olarte. He is a, a AME Zion bishop. Um, he's over Alabama and Florida in three countries on the continent of Africa. Uh, that book can be purchased on Amazon.com as well as our website. And he does a phenomenal job with looking at the historical realities on how Africa was invaded, how Africa was in essence raped and how they're still doing what they're doing, all this oil coming from Shell, but yet it's coming from the land of Africa, but yet we you know, we don't have anything to offer the world. That's a whole other segment. So books like that is what we put together. So it's not just an African American agenda, it's a truth agenda. We mm-hmm. we try to publish things that suggest the truth of our history and our collective empowering history, uh, not just African-Americans, but all Americans. 
So I'm sure some people have their ears burning right now, just thinking to themselves, um, you know, maybe I should be um, thinking about publishing my book um, through Sims Publishing. So tell tell us a little bit about maybe the criteria, what you're looking for in um, a book that sort of would fit under the umbrella of um, Sims Media Group. Well, Sims Media Group is the formal name. Um, we we do plan to real soon to get into videos and podcasting and webinars, what have you. That's why we went with Sims Media Group. But the mm-hmm. DBA doing business as the Sims Publishing Group. Um, we are expanding our brand, so I'm not ready to say this is the criteria. It is a sophisticated okay. uh, form of uh, self-publishing. Um, we are, in, I'm in conversations with some people, some investors, to make it a, a traditional uh, setup, whereas we buy everything from you. We're not doing that. Right now, one of the reasons I even went into this, this arena filed back in 2008, it wasn't just because of the Barack Obama, uh, excuse me, President Barack Obama situation, but it was also because traditional printing and publishing companies, I don't have anything negative to say about them, but if you're trying to retain full rights and receive 100% of your royalties, I'm an, I'm an advocate, advocate for uh, self-publishing companies. Now, when you go with a self-publishing company, you want to make sure they can do more than just publish your book. There are other aspects to it, which I wouldn't go into detail here, but uh, many people have chosen self-publishing routes online, what have you, and they have two, 300 books just sitting around in their garages right now. So that right. you need a self-publishing group that can, again, like Jeff, my wife said, you know, know the, know the preachers from from, from, from from Connecticut to California, but then there are other things that go involved in it as well. So I'm looking for people that feel as though they have something to share. Um, I pray that there's something to share that will benefit someone else. Uh, I pour uh, my heart out into Adam Come Home, the randomized black men, mainly because it came after the death of my father and there were some mm-hmm. unresolved issues, unhealed hurts, unmet needs. And I was trying to, to show men that, you know, although you may not have had a certain relationship with your father, your father is your father with a little F. There is a father you have with a capital F, and that father sits in glory, although he can count the hairs on your head and all that good stuff there's another father that you need to measure yourself against. So whatever pain you may have felt from the past, there's nothing compared to the promises that you have right now and promises for the future. So I'm looking for someone who has something to say, something to share, and don't mind making an investment in themselves. Uh, At this point, I've been doing this since 2008, so after we have two or three little kind words uh, exchanged between two of us, my next question is, what is your budget? because this is not something that we can do free of charge, but there are situations where I do help people. i got a client now in California. Her only child is in jail, been in jail for 17 years, and mm. so he has a book to, to publish. I was like, okay, I'm, I hope she's not listening, but the content is not something that I want underneath my banner, but we're going to do an e-book for this guy and help promote his book for just $1,000. Um, so, wow. so, so there are times I will help an individual, but it has to be a certain type of situation. So it, it, it's a business, but it's also a ministry as well. I do this out of my love for God, my love for people, and love for myself. I love doing this. Um, this is not a big money-making situation. I love doing this. I love uh, receiving the manuscripts. I love, you know, arguing with the clients. They said, nah, you need to do this. You need to add this. Let's go ahead with this. No, you have six chapters, but you need eight chapters. And then get the cover design and just the whole works. So we actually um, go from concept to completion. Um, if you have an idea, okay, fine. You need to sign a coaching contract. And we're going to pull that idea out of you. We're going to put it together. We're going to put some meat on the bone, so we say, in the black church. And uh, we're going to have fun with it. Um, I average probably anywhere from 60 to 90 days to complete a book when you don't have anything to offer but an idea. But if you have a manuscript already done, we can get the book published for you in probably 30, 45 days. I've even done books as, as, as quickly as a week, a week and a half. There are different ways to do it. But for the most mm. part, you want to plan 30 to 45 days to get your book done if you want it done properly. 
Wow. Wow. And um, th- those numbers sound really good. Is that, is that above and beyond the average that you can expect to find if you were going through another publisher? Um, with the technology today, um, I would say it's the norm, but the difference with my 30 days or 45 days are the caliber of editors you're going to have. We don't, we don't, mm-hmm. we don't just, we don't just do basic editing. We, we, we edit, we, we're going to send you back some questions. We're going to say, how about taking this paragraph, moving here? How about this concept over there? Um, that client right now, they insist on putting everything in introduction. I'm like, this is too much for an introduction. So what was her chapter one is no longer her chapter one. Now her chapter one is chapter two. We pull some meat out of the introduction and make it into a chapter one. So so you're not going to get someone who's just going to check your grammar and punctuation. It's going to be more than that. We, we, we're going to go into the, uh, the text. Uh, that's why I said it's a sophisticated form of self-publishing. And, and some people say, well, Daryl, you know, it is my book. You don't have to do all this. I'm like, well, but my name is on it. And because the name of the company is on it, I got to make sure you don't spell Jesus with a G or a Z. <laughs> I got to make sure it's spelled correctly. You know, I got a question from um, from one of our um, listeners, and they're asking um, if you've ever mentored any young African American males, or I guess work with any groups or associations that are working with them as well. Uh, um, I'm working with a group. Um, I won't get a name. I'll give you permission. I'm working with a group right now um, here in. Um, oh, you can give the Silver name Spring, if you want, Maryland. but it's up to. No, 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 no. Okay, I, I, gotcha. I don't know if All they right. want me to get out there. I see. Um, I'm working with a group right now. I have a contract with them where I go in every Monday and speak to a select group of people that they are mm-hmm. uh, uh, contractually obligated to, um, you know, provide certain services. And then I worked with a group in uh, Columbus, Ohio, when I first um, was blessed to get the PhD. I would fly up there um, every week for three days and work with a group. Um, yeah, I do mentor. Uh, I'm about to put together a 501c3 to 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 accompany the for-profit business I have, Sales Media Group. And I can't get a name yet because I haven't purchased the URL. Okay. <laughs> but it, but sure. it deals with uh, it, it deals with oh hell oh yeah it deals I've been in this business for a long time it deals yeah. with the minds of uh, young children and mm-hmm. in fact um, this is something I said not just a response to the question this is what I've been telling people for the last year um, when I uh, received a PhD from uh, Union Institute University in Ethical and Creative Leadership. The plan was to go there and um, continue to write books, but but get this concentrate on ethical and creative leadership, and write books for the, the the leadership of the black church. And it was in my final semester there that a gentleman uh, professor um, by the name of Carson Peep, um, he said, I've, "I've heard you, you know, engage in this discourse, you know, welcome arguments between different um, PhD um, students." And have you ever read any books from France Fanon? I like know who is France Fanon. And as we said in the black church, cutting across the field, um, he gave me, I'm trying not to cry right now, he gave me an article uh, entitled The Fact of My Blackness. And um, it's actually a chapter out of one of his books. And when I read this one chapter by this man, France Fanon, mm-hmm. I knew I could not concentrate on the leadership of the black church anymore. Um, the billions of dollars that are being spent to make sure we never know our true history is what so, I want to spend the rest of my life combat- combating. I, 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 want hmm. to, I want to put material together that will always, always, always give our children at least a chance. Give them at least a chance. I might not be in position to create a level playing field, but give them a chance. A book was written probably 15, 20 years ago called uh, Kill Them Before They Grow. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe Michael Porter, and he's a math, uh, uh, he's a third grade math teacher uh, out of Georgia, I believe. 
And um, he said, look, you know, they're killing our children before they come out of third grade. By, by third, third and fourth grade, the government decides they're able to predict where they need to build prisons based on the test scores of our children. It was just boys, but now it's boys and girls mm-hmm. based on the based on the third and fourth grade test scores of our little babies. They're deciding where to put prisons. Yeah, so 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 it's serious. But yes, I do uh, mentor uh, children. I'm trying to position myself to have a big old, big old, big old building. Excuse me for saying big old, big old, big old. I'm, I'm, I'm just a South Side. I'm, I'm a brother from the South Side. I tell folks, fool you. Don't let the PhD fool you. I still, I still forget to conjugate a verb. I mean, I'm, I'm just down home. When I start talking about my, my the little baby, the shock tall Mississippi that my mother and father come from, that, that starts to come out. So, so, so I'm trying to create a place where children can come and stay for hours at a time, and that's all they're going to do is receive information to counter the negative information that they're receiving on a daily basis within the school and through the mediums of social media as well as radio and what have you. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. It sounds like a movement. I don't want to talk too much, but but it's going to be more than one location. That's all I'll say. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. You're pretty all right. good. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, that's great, man. You know, I'm always excited and encouraged to hear about people who really, really see the dilemma of our young people and have such a passion for them as well. Um, they are a future. I say this so often when I speak with someone like you that has that kind of passion for youth. And um, we really need to correct what we see that's wrong and make sure we encourage those who are on the right path to make sure that they stay on it. And um, it's, mm-hmm. it's so powerful what someone just being a, um, a friendly, kind word that offers good advice can make an impact on a, a young person that can last a lifetime. Well, you know, Michael, I am a high school dropout. I, I dropped really? out of high school. Yeah, hmm. and that's why I tell people. I hadn't even thought about it. When I went into the PhD program, I hadn't even thought about any of this. My best friend, I'm going to say his name. He's going to get in trouble here, so he'll be okay. My best friend, Tyrone <laughs> P. Jones IV, uh, who is senior pastor of uh, First Baptist Church of Guilford in uh, Columbia, Maryland, he said, Sam, you need to write your book because I'm a high school dropout. Um, when I tried to gangbang, my mother popped me in my mouth, and then she said what she said to the, the leader of the gang about being like, you know, let you know, let my color uh, fool you. Mm-hmm. And 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 and, but I still dropped out of high school anyway uh, for other reasons, and I was bribed to go back to school. The gentleman I was working for, uh, he's going on to glory, William Samuels. He owned a, a, a newspaper branch called uh, Washington Park News Agency, and he said, if you go back to school and just get your, your high school diploma, I'll make you the assistant morning manager. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, the morning manager makes makes $100 uh, a week now. People's giggling, but $100 a week in 1975 is pretty good. And so he, <laughs> he talked me into going back to school, and I made up a year – in a half, in a half a year, mm. <laughs> I, I went to I, I went I went to high school, two night schools, and I went to three summer schools. Said, so how do you do that? Well, the Catholic summer schools were only four weeks long. The public summer school the public summer, uh, summer schools were twelve. So I ended up going to two, um, two uh, different Catholic schools. Uh, four weeks, then four weeks, and then I went to, uh, I think it was eight weeks, uh, summer school program public, and they said, amazingly, you did from March to August what should have taken you a year and a half or two years. <laughs> so, 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 so I know, I know the brilliance that is lurking 
and, and, and craving to come out. Every young African-American child is there. And, 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 and we need an environment and we need tools that tell them it's okay to make a mistake as you grow. As you grow. Mm-hmm. We, we have to tell them. We have to teach them. We have not lived perfect lives, and we're not living perfect lives, but we want you to be perfect in your efforts. Just keep climbing. So, 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 so I know what's there, and I, I plan to, to live the rest of my life to pull it out of them by, by way of writing the books, but at the same time creating this thing, this, this organization I want to create where they come in and, and feel comfortable being the person that God made them to be. To be educated mm. is to be human. To be miseducated is to be inhuman. And you mm. think, girl, that's going too far. No, it's not. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's no way. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. There's no way a mama gazelle would send her child, her little, her little baby gazelle, to lion in hyena university to be educated. The lion and the hyena desires to devour your child. Why would you send your baby gazelle to a school that desires to devour the mind of your child? I tell people, the strongest male today, black male in particular, is the adolescent black male. Girl, why do you call him the strongest? Because he understands what's being taught in these schools are not designed to empower him. They're mm. designed to disempower him. And so he bucks at it, but he doesn't know right. how to fight back. So now they have these tools in school. You can expel him. You can have a six-year-old child arrested for being a child. Kids pout. They, they hit the table. They do whatever. And now the teacher, because the police now are in the school systems, Arresting a 16-year-old kid, the trauma that's on that child's mind now, whereas you should feel safe around the police, now you fear the police. And now in 2020, we're talking about the talk. Every young man must have, every African-American young man must have the talk. The Mm. talk used to be about safe sex. Right. Now the right. talk is, this is what you do when the police pull you over. Right. This is called terrorism. It's a practice that's used, this is going to get you in trouble, Michael. It's used <laughs> in Jerusalem today. It's used in Israel. It's used in Israel today towards the Palestinians. And you have a lot of American police officers going over to Israel to learn these tactics of terrorism. It's true stuff. You don't have anyone that's going to say this but me. <laughs> so we got to keep you in a perpetual state of fear to control you. You control an animal. You don't control a human. Hmm. I don't want you to get too much trouble. So I'm going to leave it alone. Well, <laughs> before we um, run out of time, you need to let people know um, your website, where um, they can contact you on social media, where they can get your books, and um, go ahead and share that information with us. Well, the uh, best place to go uh, for the, the website is www.samspublishinggroup.com. That's the best place to uh, look at the books that we have and the books that are also uh, coming out. Um, you can uh, find me on Facebook uh, as well as Daryl Sims, um, and you also can find me on Facebook um, at Sims Publishing Group. And thank you. Okay. At Sims Publishing Group. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, great. So so what's up next for you? Um, what's the next move for you and on the path that God has laid out for you? Um, a few things. Um, my heart is being pricked to um, to return to the um, pastor. Um, my heart is being pricked to start the um, nonprofit organization that's going to help um, our young children. So, and to continue doing books. But now we're ready to um, uh, do books of various sorts. Uh, not just books for um, the church, but also uh, books that deal with the social issues of today. There are a few projects I'm working on, but I just can't uh, <laughs> uh, voice them now. But uh, let's just say if we can write about President Barack Obama, why stop there? That's all I'll say. you for sharing some time with us and we want to invite you back and, and talk about some more of your books as well and um, I see an opportunity too to set up a, a, another show where again we will have some some folks call in um, we'll set it up and promote it ahead of time and um, you know get some people to really interact with you I think that would be um, great for people to be able to um, interface with you and really understand the wealth of knowledge that you have as well as your, your passion for people. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that again in the near future, but thank you so much for joining us today and taking time out of your so busy schedule to be able to be with us. It was my pleasure. I thank you for, for inviting me and hosting me and I hope to come back again. And um, I do want to close by saying this. It is my desire for harmony. Um, it's not about blaming people, but it's about uh, holding ourselves accountable and holding others, you know, um, I won't say accountable because I learned you don't hold yourself accountable, but holding others to the fire, so to speak, in terms of they need to be responsible for what it is they have been elected to do. And we need to just hold them accountable to that charge that they have accepted within themselves. That's what I'm really all about. I, I seek love and harmony, not division, but at the same time, right is right and wrong is wrong. Injustice is justice. All right. Sounds like the opening paragraph for a book. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, thank you again for joining us, and we hope to hear from you soon. And, um, you know, um, really appreciate um, all the information you put out there. Any contacts I get from the people who listen, I'll be sure to forward them to you as well. Okay, thank you so much. And if there is a young man who is seriously struggling, my email is um, on the website. And if there's a mother out there who says, look, my son just needs someone just to talk to. Before all these other titles, the number one title I am is an ordained Baptist minister. So that's that comes first. The preacher right, and right. will always surpass the publisher. So if there is a mother who has a child that says, "Look, my baby just needs to talk to someone," send me an email. Go go to my go to my website, femsposingroup.com. My email is there, and I promise to reach out to them. I promise wow. to do that. That's, that's, that's great. my purpose and my call. Yeah. All right, Reverend. But thank you very much again, and um, we'll, we'll catch you next time, and hopefully it won't be too far down the road. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Michael. Keep up the good work, sir. Thank you. Okay. Failure is not an option. It's an opportunity. Look, I'm not perfect, and though I've made many mistakes, I'm not a failure. Why may you ask? Because I rarely give up on anything. I'm not afraid to take a chance and be wrong. Why? For in every mistake hides a lesson called wisdom. And guess what? I'm not concerned with what others may think about my failed attempts. That's just me. 
It has become a part of who I am, and I'm cool with that. The truth is, when others would watch me and criticize my actions and assume that they were watching me do it all wrong, in actuality, they were watching me learn, grow, become wiser, and eventually an expert in the very thing that I would later accomplish and then master. This has been the way I've learned since I was a child, and it's a process that I've embraced to this very day because it is the most effective way of learning that I know. A very wise man once said, There is a positive side to everything that we survive in our lives. Every defeat, hurt, humiliation, or sickness will either lead us to a better place or change the way we live our lives. Even the man who attempts the thing that was once thought impossible very often has little competition. What I'm saying is, don't be afraid to fail. Look, don't plan to fail, but be not afraid. We don't always get to choose how we will be taught life's lessons. Our only choice is how we choose to respond. We cannot simply say that maybe things will go my way next time or blow off our mistakes and then try again. We must resolve to learn the lesson hidden in our errors, stay true to ourselves, and the goal of the better person that we know that we're going to be through our trials, and resist our negative responses, attitudes, and placing blame on others. If we don't, truth be told, you have less time than you think to get it right. I guess what I'm really trying to say is that it's okay to fail. As long as your failure is driven by a quest for knowledge, wisdom, and a measure of truth. If I may paraphrase Stephen King, the most important things are the hardest things to say. These are the things you feel ashamed of because mere words only diminish the thought. You see, words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in our hearts and minds to no more than just living size when brought out into the open. Oh, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, the most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried. Like landmarks to a treasurer, your enemies would love to steal away and use against you at the worst possible moment. But still, you make revelations that cost you dearly, only to have people look at you like you're crazy, not understanding what you've said at all or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried when you were saying it. Do you know what's even worse than that? Is when the secret stays locked within and you can't get it out. Not for want of the courage to talk about it, but for want of someone who will just listen. Just listen. As someone who spends a great deal of time searching for the truth, the lesson that I've learned from this quote is, if you want the truth, you have to be prepared to release all judgment and be open enough to hear and accept the truth in whatever form it might take. Judgment alters the truth by changing how it's told or presented. Not accepting the truth stops the bearer from sharing the truth. Ignoring the truth kills ambition and is a recipe for disaster and makes success impossible. We all over the years have learned to guard ourselves against deception, but I've also come to realize that in most cases, you don't even have to discover or discern the truth. You just have to let it be and see it for what it is. Maybe you have a story too. It doesn't have to be just like the one we've heard. Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm here and I'm willing to listen. All I ask from you is a measure of truth.
Special thanks to our producers, Donna Hardiman and Doris Shropshire. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. Before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or your thoughts. They become words, and watch your words. They become actions, and watch your actions. They become habits, and watch your habits. They become your character, and watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.